welcome to the Living Room Podcast. I'm your host, a disembodied voice that you may call Neil. Spaces are all around us. The places we work, the houses we live in, even transportation. They're the medium by which we reduce the irreducible void. Welcome to the Living Room, where we will explore the topic of spaces and how the human mind comes to terms with them. Go ahead and take a seat. The room doesn't seem to mind. Have you ever been at school after hours as a student? It's exciting in a way. The day is done. The murmur and scuffle of footsteps and clanging locker doors is gone. Only the slight susurrations of staff and whoever else remains echoes through the long, concrete hallways. Most of the doors are shut with the lights off, only interrupted by the faint phosphorescent glow of a stretched teacher's laptop. For elementary school me, it felt as if I was transported to a brand new world. I remember sprinting down the hallway to see how fast I could run, to see how it felt to be alone in a place where I never would be otherwise. I would roam at least until someone would catch me and scold me for veering away from bingo night or wherever else I was expected. I felt free and exuberant, and more than a bit devious. Never devious in the way of challenging authority, more so in the feeling that you might be the first and only person to ever experience this. Of course, rationally, this is entirely false. But it feels like the truth. I still feel that way during the night time. I still feel a faint shiver down the nape of my neck when I'm brought in proximity to a dimly lit industrial park. There's nothing to explore there, not really. During the day, it's occupied by workers and crates and boxes and machinery. Still, the prevailing mood is a certain bored quietude. During the night, however, it transforms. It is not the existence of life that makes it feel alive in these moments. It's the absence. The monotone buzzing of the street lamps becomes a lonely chorus. Everything starts to look and feel like an Edward Hopper painting. Seeing an office building or a school or an industrial park at night holds within it a certain adventurous thrill. It's thrilling to see things from a different angle, to access a glimpse into a world that was never made for you or your midnight prowlings. Most video games involve exploration. Barring the obvious of open-world games, even the most linear games have a driving undercurrent of discovering new places, whether in a required, structured way or not. Most have a secret off-channel, a hidden room, a cave behind the waterfall, so to speak. Maybe it's my inquisitive nature to do so, but many times over I find myself slowing down to look at things. I can be found admiring the way the lashings on the underside of a simulated bridge hold the structure together. 
On one level, it's just part of my urge to check for hidden loot and treasures the developers included for other seekers like me. On another level, it comes out of a desire to experience the full extent of reality, at least this small-scale constructed one. This has led me, by an initial fluke of matchmaking or some other mishap, to wander a multiplayer map uncontested. No friends to goof around with. No enemies to challenge. Completely alone. When the situation arises, I typically leave. I came to compete with other players. There's no point in essentially not playing the game. I could easily requeue and enter a different match so I can play the game as it was intended. The overwhelming and immediate reaction is to leave. But sometimes I don't. I take a look around. In the passions of battle, these environments never feel off. Nice. These boxes sure provide excellent cover. Wow. This garage gives me a great place to sneak behind enemy lines. When playing alone, however, I realize whatever locale was chosen for theming is only an aesthetic choice. Surface deep. Real places aren't shaped like this. Who places crates in the middle of a roadway? Why would a company ever put a garage right here? It becomes clear in a real understandable way that everything has been constructed. None of this is real, not even in translation of somewhere that is real. I'm viewing a world in a way I was never meant to see. This is obvious. Of course, there had to be a team of people to put together this environment. Something so fundamental shouldn't be this disconcerting. And yet, it is. I don't pretend to be a connoisseur of indie games. I don't scrub the internet for little personal projects and half-baked ideas made real. In fact, I had never even heard of the website itch.io until a few months ago. That being said, the realm of indie horror has some of the most downright terrifying and chill-inducing games I have ever seen. This seems like a strange statement. Anybody familiar with crowdsourced internet horror like SCP or Creepypastas will know the degree of cliché and camp involved in these sorts of things. Oh, wow. Mario said your name, came out of the screen, and ate your cereal? My heart just stopped out of terror. That being said, I've been surprised to find that some of these shatter the mold on what I thought horror could be. Games that are terrifying, not because of whatever lurks in the dark waiting to strike. Games that are terrifying by the nature of the environment. Champion of this little realm is a game dev who goes by the name of Kitty Horror Show. And the champion of her portfolio is Anatomy. In the psychology of the modern civilized human being, it is difficult to overstate the significance of the house.
The game begins before you realize it started. There is no start screen. Instead, without warning, you find yourself in a hallway. It's dark. The lights in the house are off. Large, bold text instructs you to visit the kitchen. Atop the square wooden table is a tape recorder. You hit play. In the psychology of the modern civilized human being, it is difficult to overstate the significance of the house. Since as early as the Neolithic era, humankind has defined itself by its buildings. Buildings for worship, buildings for socializing, buildings for protection, even buildings for the commemoration of the dead. But of all the structures that mankind has invented for itself, there is little doubt that the house is that which it relies upon most completely for its continued survival. The tape ends as if it had never begun. Text appears at the top of the screen. There is another tape. And another, and another. Listen, travel, return, repeat. Each tape awaits elsewhere in the house from the others. In exploring the corners of the house, you realize there is nothing here explicitly for you. Only the tapes. Nothing is lurking in the shadows waiting to strike. But yet, it feels as if there is. Something tells you in the pit of your gut that there is something seriously wrong here. You are in danger. The tapes, though clinical in nature, suggest the same. There is even a fair number of direct comparisons to be drawn between those organs of a house and those of a human body. The living room is a beating and vivacious heart pumping people and life through the house. The kitchen is something akin to a stomach or a digestive tract. The bathroom is obvious in function. The hallways are coursing veins and the stairs serve more than a passing resemblance to a spine. An elaborate and poetic metaphor, yes, but as time passes it becomes harder to separate the poetic from the real. Each time you listen, the tape ends abruptly. Each time you walk your way within the house to retrieve the next piece of the puzzle, you spelunk deeper into the tract with it between its walls. You crawl deeper into the gut of the house. Kitchen, living room, dining room, basement. Finally, the bedroom. It is here. It is here, in the bedroom that we are at our most vulnerable. Each night we shut our senses to the world for hours at a time, trusting in the house to keep us safe until next we wake. In this state of extreme vulnerability we will spend something like 20% of our lives. Anything might stand beside us, watch us, keep us company until dawn, and we would never perceive it. We can only pray that the house will not let such things carry on as we sleep. In this way, during these hours, the bedroom seems less like a mind and more like a mouth. For it is here that the house is most likely to betray us. It is here that we place ourselves most at the house's mercy and spend each night hoping that it will not bite down.
The game cuts out without warning, as if unintentionally. No end screen, nor credits. It is on the second playthrough that we begin to notice the nature of the house. The tapes begin to drone and stutter. Tapes end before they're due, skipping like a vinyl record after one too many plays. What's more, the house begins to react to your presence. At first, the slight rearrangement of furniture is only a harmless nuisance. As you progress, however, things take a bizarre turn. Plates hang three feet above the dining table, suspended in midair. The bathroom mirror juts out from the wall at an impossible, perpendicular angle. But still, you persist. You continue to explore, to listen to the tapes no matter how distorted they become. Red lines jut through the walls like dark, pulsing veins. The tapes become little more than shouts and static. Finally, they stop saying much at all besides disjointed words and gibberish. And yet you persist. You refuse to leave. You demand to know more. Deeper and deeper, you clog the arterious hallways like a hungry parasite. And for this, you have doomed yourself. There is an important distinction that must be drawn between the words deception and vivisection. A distinction that would appear to be lost on you. Your purpose was to listen, and yet at every turn you have pried, you have prodded, and you have interfered. Have you not been paying attention? Did it not occur to you that as an organism existing within a greater organism, your intrusion would be felt? And still you harass. And now, like the wayward spider who witlessly settled on a sleeper's tongue, you will be swallowed. Because the truth is this. When a house is both hungry and awake, every room becomes a mouth. We, as humans thrive off of curiosity and exploration. Our enormous social brains capable of not only survival and recognition, but abstract thought are poised to demand more than the comforts of the flesh. We demand something new. We demand entertainment. We demand to know what we don't. It is our social brain that is the architect of our spaces. We imprint our lives onto our creations and see our buildings as more than mere locations, but places for work and play and sleep. As such, our spaces become alive themselves. As technology advances and society grows, our buildings specialize to match. This increases the efficacy of the tasks completed within, but it also undercuts any potential flexibility in the modern era, more than ever, we build our spaces for specific groups and specific tasks, erecting invisible barriers. But whether in harmless curiosity or malevolent intrusion, we often test these boundaries, and in doing so, we view worlds that were never made to be seen by us. This has been the Living Room Podcast. I'm your host, a disembodied voice trapped within the gut of a large beast. 
I'll talk to you after the swallow. Thanks for coming.